Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're back. Today, what's today? I'm losing track of time. The third. Is yeah, it Tuesday? Third. Is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Wednesday, the third. It's Wednesday, my God. And we have a full house with great folks. Full you know, house. You know, it's Wednesday. And Wednesday and last night, Tuesday night, I kept looking for Monday night football. I got thrown <laughs> off. It was you lost a, track. I lost track. Monday was supposed to be Monday, but it turned out to be a holiday. In the so. studio, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. He's back after a month of vacation. No, two weeks. Two it weeks. felt like a month. I know. We missed you. And, uh, I missed you too. Uh, Governor Governor George Pataki, and he, he wants to get the Harvard situation off his uh, chest, and we're going to be talking about it more about it later on. I mean, I think Al, I, I heard Al Sharpton is going to be picketing. This, uh, this is crazy. By the way, he came out with a statement, John, and he said uh, that every black woman in the United States is uh, now put is about on notice. Harvard. About Harvard. He's going to be picketing Bill Ackman, Bill Ackman, who's been objecting to what's going on in Harvard. I understand this woman at Harvard, uh, what's Claudine her? Gay. Claudine Gay, is going to keep her $900,000 a year salary. You can't make it up. And I want to know... Al Sharpton, I, I know him, I like him, I'll, I smoke a cigar with him once in a while, and you know what I'm saying? Al Sharpton doesn't do anything without getting paid. So <laughs> who is paying Al Sharpton? To pick it in front of this kid? guy. <laughs> any idea? Who is paying Al Sharpton on this deal? Be any, any list of people could do it. I've known Al Sharpton over the years, too. And He's uh, a nice guy. In, in his own way. He but smokes that, cigars so well. I mean, he puffs on them. And... He's also a great con man. That's the reality. Yeah, I mean, oh, come no, on. Right, right. And the, playing the, the race card is dangerous right now. Right. Come on. You know, I'll, for I'll him to be to saying Brawley, this. Store in Harlem, rides in Brooklyn. I mean, he's been behind all of that. Yeah, he's got he's got a track record. How can record. she keep the nine hundred thousand dollars a year salary? What kind of business people are at Harvard to to keep nine hundred thousand dollars salary? Uh, and, and she doesn't, you know. John, they're uh, not business people. They're political people. And they want to move Harvard into, instead of being an educational institution, into an activist political institution. Right. And that was the whole appointment of Gay. That's why Pritzker is the chairman of the board. Uh, and it's why Harvard is losing enormous respect across the country. Enormous, enormous. respect. I don't know if they'll ever regain I, I, I it. I think you know? one of the things they've been saying, they've been talking about getting the entire board to resign because I think Harvard has to start from the beginning. And I, I understand we have a congressman on the border of Texas that's calling in. Yep, he is joining us right now, reporting from the border, uh, Congressman Mark Molinaro of New York, who is among the dozens of members of Congress, the biggest delegation ever, by the way, uh, from Congress, going to our U.S. border there with Mexico. Congressman, uh, what are you seeing? And, and tell us what you saw today and, and the message you're sending. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. We are uh, 65 of us at the southern border. Um, let me let me tell you what we've seen is 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 in in real in real scale. The this administration, this president, has surrendered the southern border to drug cartels, to sex traders, uh, to drug trade uh, cartels. And I understand uh, a lot of Chinese coming in too. 
Uh, we, we, are, we are seeing people from, from countries all across the globe threatening American national security, and the president and the administration have failed in their responsibility. But, John, you know what's important? We know this in New York, right? Uh, the, New York City being a, a sanctuary city designation has meant uh, that people are being transported. By the way, 80 percent of, uh, of, of, uh, of these uh, illegal individuals uh, being transported are being transported by the federal government itself to cities like New York and then transported upstate counties like the ones I represent. Uh, and I just think it's important uh, to, to have been here to, to talk to local leaders, law enforcement, Border Patrol, to know uh, that there has been a total collapse of the system. Uh, and it is just uh, it, it is just appalling to see uh, what we're seeing here at the southern border. You know, Congressman, I, I was just watching the big press conference that happened with Speaker Mike Johnson. And, and I know you were there with the others. And he said a stunning thing that if they had just kept, if the Biden administration had just kept even the remain in Mexico policy that Trump had, in other words, just keep what Trump was doing. He didn't have to create, you know, create the wheel uh, that it would be 70 percent less would be crossing yeah. our border. That is a stunning number. Yeah, it is. And remain in Mexico John, is really important because right now, 90 percent of the people we interact with who are who are going to go through the asylum seeking, the vetting process, 90 percent of them are returned into cities and communities across this country to to, to, to to handle that process on their own. Remain in Mexico means every one of those people get vetted at the border and we send and return those who have no right to enter back to their countries and welcome those who have right to enter into America. Congressman, this is George Pataki. And let me say before we start. Uh, Marcus Molinero is one of the finest public servants I've ever met. I've known him since before he was Dutchess County Executive, a great congressman, a great public service. Marcus, thank you for doing going down to the border. Uh, my you. question very simply is, uh, yes, we have this uh, loss of control, massive influx, people from everywhere. My understanding <laughs> is that a number of people on the terrorism watch list have been uh, uh, allowed to or just have disappeared across the border. And I fear another attack, terrorist attacks, because of the open border from people who are coming here to conduct, simply to conduct terrorist activities against Americans. Are you seeing or hearing anything about that? Yeah, the Border, border Patrol spoke of hundreds uh, either uh, 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 slipping in a, a, a unknown or known to us. Uh, and you know this firsthand. You lived it. You led us through uh, a, a horrible, horrible terrorist attack. Uh, y- you know that something bad will happen. Uh, if this continues and, and and it has been total a total abdication of responsibility by the governor excuse me by well maybe maybe her too but by the president and uh, and the uh, secretary of homeland security uh, it is truly truly frightening uh, and we're going to leverage every tool we have uh, in the house uh, to to get the outcome uh, that we need secure the border uh, streamline the asylum seeking process remain in mexico uh, and ensure that we're returning uh, uh, individuals who have no right to enter this country to their country. Now, are all the congressmen in the GOP right now putting their foot down and saying, we're not going to approve any money, no money for anything, unless we have control of our borders? Stop the invasion. We have a Stop the invasion. We have a unified effort. Speaker Johnson spoke about this today. Unified effort. We do not believe there is any other, uh, any other, any greater priority than this one. And we will leverage and use the tools we need to get the job done. Congressman, it's uh, Judge Richard Womberg. Let me ask you a question. Is there any bipartisan support to protect our border? Is it only coming from the Republicans? Well, the Republicans in the House are leading the charge, but uh, our bill, border, uh, strongest border security in generations, does have Democrat support. 
Uh, because we are not moving on that, the Senate uh, Democrats are negotiating with Republicans and the White House finally coming to the table. We believe that they're moving in our direction and we're going to hold firm uh, until they do. <clears throat> uh, listen, but, but beyond that, um, just to be clear, and I, and I think this is important, it, on the ground here, I met with, and Governor Pataki would appreciate this, local county uh, officials, Republican and Democrat, who just want us to act. There's bipartisan support. There's American support. There just isn't presidential leadership, and that <clears throat> needs to change. And uh, we are talking to Congressman Mark Molinaro reporting from the border. Pete King, you got a question for him. Hey, Mark, first of all, congratulations on the great job you're doing. Also, talking to the Border Patrol people, what, what is their morale? What is their sense of morale? Uh, are they able to keep their spirits up? Are they able to do the job? They are committed to their job, but they are beaten down. They're getting kicked in the teeth every day. And, 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 and you know this better than anybody. Uh, instead of securing the border and, and patrolling, they're processing people in paper, and it's wow. not their job. And so they're, they're just, in, you know, you, you sense the commitment and the dedication, but they are demoralized in that. They just want the president and the administration to act. And they have the tools. We don't need to change the law today, uh, but we will if necessary uh, if, if the president doesn't act. Congressman, this is George Pataki again. Uh, you know, the uh, Biden administration is surrounded by leftists who believe in open borders. They don't believe we should have a border. You're, what you're doing in trying to force them to act is absolutely essential. Are you hearing anything at all that the Biden administration is finally aware uh, of uh, the need to do something? Otherwise, the House Republicans are just not going to cooperate and pass anything. Are they moving at all? Yeah, uh, because we're not. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, and now they're nego- the White House is apparently negotiating with the Senate Democrats uh, to kind of come to a unified agreement. But the fact that we are not moving has forced them into the conversation. And, and, and Governor, if you were here, you feel as we do. You cannot be here and not see the crisis. That this, this is a total collapse of the system. And the president has surrendered the southern border. Yeah, and before we let you go, I, I got to bring up a statement that I couldn't believe today. Um, Mayorkas was being interviewed this morning on NBC, and he was asked, what do you make? Finally, NBC asking at least some tough questions. You know, you got historic numbers. Yeah, his answer, John, he said, well, part of the reason there's a lot of people crossing the border, I think a lot of it has to do with climate change. Pete's oh shaking God. his head. Yeah. Can you I believe mean, that this? That is the dumbest. Yeah. I mean, Let's give him, Mallorcas, a award for the dumbest, for the dumbest statement <laughs> of the day of the year. Actually, we now, should start just, doing hey, John, that. let's just impeach him. Let's just impeach him. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, uh, where's that going with the impeachment? But, but it's not going to go anyplace. I mean, well, it's... It doesn't mean we shouldn't act. The House, uh, the House is going to move forward. I, I believe we are moving. We, I know we are going to move forward. Listen, if, if the President and the Senate don't want to hold them accountable, uh, the House Republicans will. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mark Malinaro, and uh, we'll talk to you when you get back. Please do. Best of all of you. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And now. Yep, and coming up in a few minutes, we're going to have James Galliano who's going to be joining us. The the bail laws, Governor Pataki, are out of control in New York. No bail laws. Yeah, what bail laws? You know, we had uh, one of the three-star chiefs in charge of uh, uh, the other day, and uh, he says, "Oh, we're making a lot of arrests." I said, <laughs> right. "I said, how long? How long are they uh, right. uh, uh, going away for?" He says, "Well, that's I different." Said, no, no. I said to them, "Are they going home for dinner?" He and says, he said, "Yes, yeah. they're going home for dinner." While his patrolman right. is still filling out the, uh, the papers, the paper. Yeah. It, br- it breaks it's my ridiculous. heart, John, for for the law enforcement because they're trying to do their job. <coughs> you now, know, who's going to be coming on, James? Uh, 
Gagliano. Tell us about yep. James Gagliano. And in fact, we have James. He is joining us right now. He was a senior supervisory agent there in the FBI for a long time. <laughs> And James, you wrote a really powerful column, and, and I hope everybody in Albany is listening, saying Albany, maybe uh, fixing the bail reform should be top priority. Tell us why, obviously, this is key and why you felt impassioned to do it. Well, uh, first of all, Reed, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping they're listening. They went back into session today for the first session for 2024. Um, and they have a list of items that they're they're looking at. But unfortunately, I don't think that they're focused on the bail reform issue. Um, the Democrats have had a supermajority there since 2020. They've been in power since 2018. And unfortunately, even Governor Kathy Hochul, a member of their tribe, attempted to push through some modest, and when I mean modest, minuscule um, reforms of the reforms last April, and they shot it down. So I'm not holding out hope it's going to happen, but uh, my fingers are crossed. All right. We have uh, in the studio, we have uh, Governor George Pataki. <clears throat> James, thank you for all you've done for our country and for continuing to, to fight the fight. Uh, but let me tell you that uh, Governor Hochul could get this done if it's her priority. The way the bail law was passed in the first place, or the no-bail law, was Cuomo put it in language and his budget. And I want a lawsuit my last year that says when you put something in the language in the budget, the legislature cannot change it. If she made this part of her criminal justice budget, the legislature would have no choice but to pass it or to have no criminal justice appropriation at all. Uh, so she has it in her power to force the legislature to act. Uh, whether or not she utilizes that power, uh, I'm not holding my breath because I fear that even uh, more centrist Democrats uh, are afraid of their own left, so much so that they allow these unacceptable conditions to continue to exist. Governor, well stated. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. And, and let's just harken back to how this bill got passed. In 2019, they rammed it through as part of the budget bill. They had everything from the star exemptions to school budgets, all these important budget items. And then they put bail reform in that. This should have been a clean, single item bill with an up or down vote. Put people on the record voting just on bail reform, and they pulled a little bit of that skullduggery, crammed it all together, and then it allows Democrat assembly members and senators to then say, I had to vote for it. Otherwise, if I didn't, it would have shut down government. Exactly right. But you could do the precisely same thing to repeal the law, put it in the budget. And if that happens, the legislature can say the same thing. We had no choice. And it's Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, Mr. Gagliano. Let me let me say this to you. I'm a retired Supreme Court justice. When you talk to the judges today, they have no discretion. We're the only judges in the <coughs> entire country that don't have discretion to hold somebody in based on recidivism or threat to uh, to public safety. That's an essential change. And when this bill was drafted, and you're correct, it was done in the middle of the night. And it was tacked on to the budget. They didn't incorporate judges' comments, prosecutors' comments or law enforcement comments. It was put through in the middle of the night. It was a self-serving bill, came out of the, the crazy left agenda, and it needs to be changed because without authority for the judges to hold people in, you're never going to have public safety in this state. Judge Will said, if a jurist, if a judge cannot be the person that determines dangerousness, and obviously they're taking into account what the prosecutors and, and what law enforcement is saying, uh, it is absolute, utter insanity 
to think that you should restrict a judge's hands. If someone is dangerous and needs to be remanded, how do you take that decision out of a judge's hands? I'll tell you, the assembly member who is the architect, Latrice Walker, threatened to go on a three-week hunger strike when Governor Hochul put forth those modest, modest reforms she of the reform. She should have let her. The party fell in line. Yeah, she should have let her. Well, That's let what her. we said. Absolutely no problem. Yeah. Starve yourself. Yeah, the go fact, ahead. The fact that it is that we're losing this fight for public safety because of this legislation and Hasty, who's the speaker, and Stuart Cousins, who's controlled by Janaris, have done nothing to make meaningful reforms. They've sugar, they've had some minor stuff, but the fact of the matter is it's minor, it doesn't do the job, and you'll never have public safety until that bill is either repealed or modified seriously. Pete? Yeah, this, this is Pete King, Jim. Uh, I, I know several assembly members at the time, Democrats, this is back in 2019, who were told of specific projects in their district would be eliminated if they didn't vote for that. And, and, and these are so-called liberal Democrats who saw the danger to their community from having you know, the no-bail law. And tremendous pressure was put on them. So I, I agree with Governor Pataki. He's the expert on this. But the government has a lot of power that can be used. What was done to bring about a bad law can be also now used to repeal a bad law. Exactly right. But you need leaders with courage. I mean, and, and you need it on all different levels. By the way, as you were talking about the judge, it's a different issue, but I keep thinking about, remember last week, the Grand Central, uh, case that happened. The prosecutors were pleading two months earlier to lock the guy up and the judge said, no, you know what? We're going to keep well, him out. You know, it's part of the problem. Part of the problem, Rita, is this. That under the law, nobody's talking about this. The judge is mandated to do an assessment to have the least restrictive means to guarantee the guy coming back. So even when you're so-called bail eligible, they still have to go through this analysis to make sure that they so I mean, put an ankle bracelet on them. You know, in, in the city here where I live, uh, and I do, I live in Suffolk County on, uh, in the summertime, uh, I mean, you can't walk around at night. After dark, I mean, we used to have our restaurants open to midnight. We used to have... Uh, Dwayne Reed opened up to midnight. We used to have all the supermarkets open up at midnight. People are scared to walk around. It's a dangerous time. Governor Pataki? Well, you're absolutely right, John. We need the criminal justice reform on the bail and other criminal laws, but also the shoplifting is a catastrophe. I mean, the idea that you go into a drugstore and the toothpaste is locked up is just despicable and the quality of life issues drives people out of this city and out of this state. So I would also create a task force to have a tough approach to shoplifting, to go after them, particularly the recidivists, to do it time after time after time and don't even get arrested anymore. We've got to change this or people are going to continue to leave New York. James Gagliano, you get last word. Tell us what, you, what, what people have to do to make our lives better. Gosh, if I didn't know better listening to the Governor Pataki right there, I would have thought he was talking about broken windows policing. You yeah. mean if you let low-level crime proliferate and you tolerate right. property crime and things like that, then mm -hmm. violent crimes will start to proliferate? Brilliant. Didn't Governor, didn't we do that one time before? You know, that's the sad thing, James, is we know what works and what doesn't work, and this state is doing what doesn't work, and they know it. Well... Thank you, James Gagliano. We'll catch up with you again real soon. Let's uh, let's get our city and our state, our country safe. Thank you so much. Sounds and, good. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. And uh, let's take a break right now. We're going to come back. We have a new Suffolk County executive. Great guy. Ed Romaine. And we're going to have him on, and he's going to tell us what the heck is he going to do to Suffolk County <coughs> to protect all Suffolk County residents 
So if we have a great Nassau County and a great Suffolk County, well, there's some place to escape to, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, welcome everyone back, and it's really a privilege tonight. We have an outstanding guest on, Ed Romay, and the new Suffolk County Executive. I've known Ed for years. Governor Pataki has known him for years. You couldn't ask for a better public servant and anyone who's more needed at this time than Ed Romay. So, Ed, congratulations, and great to have you on the show. Congressman, it's always good to hear your voice. Always the voice of reason and common sense. Always the voice for New York. Thank you for your service in the United States Congress. Thank you for your service as Nassau County Comptroller, uh, I don't forget the old days. We did yeoman's work. And, uh, Ed, uh, John Katzmatini's, uh, now you have a, a great DA out there. Uh, you have a good sheriff out there. Have you named your police commissioner yet? No, we've named the acting police commissioner while we do a search for the police commissioner. We've named uh, Robert Waring, who is... Uh, Acting Police Commissioner, he's currently the chief of police. He's served the department for over 37 years. He doesn't have an interest in becoming commissioner, so we appointed him as acting. And probably in the next two or three weeks, we will name a commissioner. We've been reviewing a lot of and interviewing a lot of people. We're going to try to get an excellent police commissioner so we can keep Suffolk safe. Since I live there on weekends and live there in the summertime, what are you going to do? What, What are you going to do to make Suffolk County even better? Well, we're going to do a lot of things. Number one, we're going to try to make it affordable by easing the tax burden on some of our homeowners because a lot. I of want to be safe. Forget about the tax burden. I want to be safe. <laughs> John, John, we'll take both. Billions of dollars. I was going to say the, the average citizen will take both. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. okay, yeah. okay. Well, I'm with John, that on the tax cut. Yeah. I I know you live in the town of Southampton, which isn't covered by the Suffolk County Police, but I was with the Southampton chief today. And I went to the Southampton installation of their new office supervisor and town board members and trustees. And I spoke to the chief and I said, chief, I know that the, the, the five East End villages and the five East End towns have their own chiefs. I'd love to go to one of your chiefs meeting and talk about how Suffolk County police can help the East End chiefs so we can keep John Casamitidis, who wrote a great book. <laughs> You're his agent, Ed. This is great. You, how far can you go? Where do you want to go? I read that book. It's a great book. Johnny, you Thank should have you. read it twice, though. He would have made more money if you read it twice. Hey, Ed, what's the story? Uh, somewhere, yeah, I was going to say, some, somewhere in the next few weeks or months or whatever, you're going to be pushed to a, 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 a sanctuary county, and somehow, whether it's Nassau County, Suffolk County, you know the pressure is going to be on. What do you plan on doing to resist that? Resist it all the way. We are not a sanctuary city. We are not a sanctuary county. I see what it's doing to New York City. I am not going to visit that plague on the residents of Suffolk County. We can't afford that. Our government, our national government has failed us. Our president should have had a better border policy and immigration policy. We are not vetting the people coming into this country. We are not securing our borders. That is making us all a little less safe each and every day this continues. Thousands of people are pouring into the United States from all over the world through our southern border, and we don't know who they are, what diseases they bring, what other criminal activities they may be involved in. 
or what other things, but we can't afford it. And Judge Weinberg, you live in, on in a Suffolk North County, on, on a North Fork, on, on weekends and on summertime. That's a Tell us what the heck. Uh, well, number what one, are you concerned about? Well, first of all, I'm, Ed. I want to congratulate you on your election and being sworn as county executive. You're going to do a great job for Suffolk County. I feel safer and better. And unlike John, I'm control, concerned about those taxes. <laughs> keep, keep those taxes down. Keep the cops protecting us. Do whatever you have to do. But what are your other visions for Suffolk County, Ed? My other visions is to make sure that we get a large chunk of the money. We've been shortchanged for so long. We need more funding for sewers and alternative denitrification systems so our water stays clean, not only our surface, but our groundwater, which we depend on for drinking, stays clean. We need money to electrify the Long Island Railroad. You know, electrification stops at Babylon, stops at Ronkonkoma, stops at Huntington. Most of Suffolk County does not have electric train service. We need better train service. We need improvements so that John can drive down Sunrise Highway in County Road 39, and there isn't a trade parade that backs it up for miles. So, yes, we need money from the infrastructure, that program that President Biden proposed. We need money from the environmental bond issue that the voters in New York State voted for. We need our fair share. Long Island has been shortchanged for too long and I am going to be yelling, screaming, and hollering until we get our fair share. Ed, it's Richard Weinberg again. I'll tell you another issue that concerns me. That's the Hochul initiative to take away zoning control from localities and give it to some state agency up in Albany. What are your thoughts oh on that? God. I think that's absolutely the wrong way to go. I was town supervisor for 11 and a half years in Brookhaven, which is the largest town by size in the state of New York and second largest by population with half a million people. We are capable of listening to our citizens and allowing local citizens to determine how their community should be developed. I don't want a bureaucrat in Albany determining how my community should be developed. I want myself and my neighbors to determine how the little community of Santa Mauritius that I live in should be developed, should be zoned, where businesses should go, where multifamily should go, where residents should go, etc. I do not want a bureaucrat in Albany doing that. And everybody, we're talking to Suffolk County Executive Ed Romaine, uh, the brand new uh, county executive there in Suffolk County, New York, uh, Pete King. Yeah, Ed, I'm going to be with you and Bruce Blakeman, I believe, this Friday at the Long Island Association. Do you plan on working closely with Bruce going forward to have like a united front coming out of uh, Long Island? Absolutely. Like you, I know Bruce a lot of years. Good man. And we are going to work together because of many of the problems we face are regional problems. Like, what do we do with solid waste? How are we going to deal with this in the future? What about our transportation needs? What about our rail needs? Do you know that only 1% of freight is moved by rail, where in the rest of the country it's over 20%? No wonder our roads are taking a beating. Yeah, crazy. Well, uh, County Executive Ed Romaine of Suffolk <coughs> County, New York. So great to have you here. Congratulations, too. Great to have oh, you. I'll see you on Friday morning, Ed. Hey, Pete, I'll see you, Peter. I will see you Friday. Look forward to it. John, 
How far can you go? I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for our first well, breakfast. Good, I'm waiting for our first breakfast out in the, in the Hampton. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, Capri, we'll, we'll, I'll see you there. Uh, I'll get uh, the scrambled eggs. Absolutely. That's a good Sounds place. Good. Look, That's forward, a good place. look forward to it. Well, okay, let's take a break. And everybody is mad as heck about what's going on in Harvard. They're keeping this person on the payroll. This 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 is president or chancellor, whatever. Nine hundred thousand dollars. How do, how do how I get dumb? How how how, how, how do dumb. I get how do I get fired? And get nine hundred grand a year. That's what I'm right now. Dumb. We're getting fired. The board of directors says Governor Pataki is mad as heck. He's going to talk about it. Let's go to a break, and we'll come back with Governor Pataki. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. We've been talking about Al Sharpton chiming in saying it's racism uh, that the African-American, the first one who was the president of Harvard, I want to know who resigned. Al Sharpton is being paid for. Yeah, like, great question. Al Sharpton is not going to go pick it. Unless somebody's paying. Yeah, he's picketing in front of Bill Ackman, the hedge fund guy who's been pushing and saying, listen, uh, they should have been tougher on these anti-Semitic protests. Kudos to Bill Ackman. Uh, Gub, Gub Patterson, I mean, Gub Pataki, you've been really passionate. Uh, we, you look have, a we, have, we had the same first. He's the first. <laughs> he's the Taylor version of the governor. You do Se- look, by, separated the way, birth. by the way, you were in Florida. You do look tan. <laughs> it was raining the whole time, but that's all right. I'm happy to be here. Um, you well, know, poor Al. Sharpton. He hasn't been in the press in a long time. He's been overshadowed by other activists. So he needs somehow to reclaim some uh, prominence here. So he goes and pickets Bill Ackman. And Bill Ackman deserves unbelievable credit for for courageously standing up for his alma mater and saying this nonsense has got to stop. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, gay is gone. But the nonsense now, hasn't let, stopped. Let's tell, right. that, who, that let me, let's tell everybody who Bill Ackman is. He's a hedge fund guy that, that wanted to give zillions of dollars to Harvard. He went to Harvard. Yep. And he's objecting that his alma mater is doing stupid, stupid, stupid things. And he also said, John, I'm going to withhold hundreds of millions of dollars. That also has a big impact, too. You know, Harvard has a, uh, has a $50 billion endowment. I don't think it's the money. It's more that someone of Ackman's prom- prominence has the courage to say that Harvard is screwing up. Take a closer look at this president. When people took a look, they found that she was totally unqualified, not just to be president, but actually to be on the faculty. When you look at her publications and, and the plagiarism that was obvious in those publications, that she was not fit By the to be way, on. By 50 allegations, more than 50 yeah, allegations uh, uh, of plagiarism. And only 10 articles over her entire academic career. But uh, uh, Ackman has also said correctly that the fact that Gay is out as president doesn't solve the problem. And it doesn't solve the problem. You have at Harvard, and I'm sure at the top, other top universities, boards that are committed to turning them from institutions where people learn how to think, how to develop, how to hear both sides of a story, turning them into political activists for their social agenda. Uh, And that is a tragedy, not just for Harvard. It's a tragedy for higher education in America. And it's got to stop if our next generation are going to have the ability to govern in a democracy. And the problem also, Governor Pataki, was that so many of the faculty (coughs) members came to Gay's aid and said what she said 
was fine when she, you know, was before Congress and said she couldn't figure out if genocide against Jews was a bad thing. Remember, it was depends the context. Yeah, and it, even the plagiarism, they still are standing by her. There's a lot of them. So your your point's a good one. There's a big systematic issue. And, so, Governor, and, what's the political influence? You were mentioning it before. But the people on the board. Well, there's a very limited board. I think three, including Penny Pritzker is the chairman of the board. She was in Obama's cabinet. Two other, I believe, members of the 12-person board were in Obama's uh, cabinet. These are not scholars. These are not people interested in ancient history. They're interested in an activist left-wing political agenda. And they now control so the president, university. is President Obama controlling that board, well, you think? I don't think he controls the board, but I think he has significant influence. And the, there have been media reports that he actually called and said, hey, you can't get rid of her, which is, I don't know if it's true or not. But ultimately, uh, I think it was just there was so much pressure and understanding that uh, she couldn't withstand scrutiny, that she had to step aside. And I think they're all disappointed. And, and did she, she call aside. us racist because she was a plagiarist? <laughs> She said she's the victim And one of the little-known parts of this, so she was chairman of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences. In that position, twice, she went after African-American yes. professors at Harvard and basically drove them either from the university or from their positions for ideological reasons that they were not on the same side as she is. And, and that's students. The type, and, and students, and, and, too, and got expelled. And that's the type of purging that is going on of conservatives in academia. I just saw uh, an analysis, 6% of faculty at universities in America identify as Republicans. That just tells you all you need to know that these are no longer institutions to educate children. They're to indoctrinate. And we've got to change that. And uh, we need more Bill Ackman's. We need, we need more people who are going to stand up and say this nonsense has got to stop. Yeah, you know, I, uh, we were talking about Bill Ackman uh, earlier, the hedge fund guy. Um, he also had a, a tweet today, or X, I should say. It's not Twitter anymore, but X, and said, uh, next, basically, MIT. Because remember, in that famous right. hearing that happened, it was UPenn and it was Harvard, of course, and MIT. They all had equally kind of uh, babbling answers or or misguided answers, to put it mildly. Governor. And in fact, I think the MIT answer was even worse because there was a follow up question. Well, you know, if it doesn't, the speech doesn't violate it. What, what does it take? It, it takes an overt act. In other words, you have to actually start killing Jews before you consider it to be a violation of your code. Utter nonsense. Utter not. Uh, Judge Weinberg. And the, the real problem is it's not just limited to those three right. presidents who who testified, it's all across the country. Here in New York, in the City University of New York, you have rabid anti-Semitism going on right now, a place that was founded and funded by the Jewish community in New York for poor and middle-class people to get a college and university education. It's rapidly, ask Alan Dershowitz, Professor Dershowitz of Harvard, about what he thinks. He's a distinguished graduate of CUNY, what he thinks about what's going on in the city. And that's publicly funded money. We should not be using government dollars taken from taxpayers to fund anti-Semitic venues. Yeah, absolutely. We need to follow the money trail. That's a great point. Um, and uh, speaking now also on a whole different matter, uh, we have Dr. Peter Miholos joining us, who is going to be talking about there, long-term COVID. A doctor in the house? And a great doctor in the house, too, by the way. Dr. <laughs> Peter, uh, tell us about what's going on with long-term COVID. Well, with long-term COVID, what's happening is that about 7% of the people who have COVID are getting it. And it turns out that the older, earlier variants that we said were more virulent and were killing people 
those people uh, who survived it are having, 7% of them are having long-haul COVID, which includes things like uh, brain fog, fatigue, memory loss, heart palpitations, uh, gastric problems. And what's happening is that people were going to psychiatrists thinking they have a problem because they're having these panic attack-like situations going on, but they're finding out that it's real and there are biomarkers in the bloodstream uh, like inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein and homocysteine and the sedimentation rate, which are all blood tests, and they're elevated and abnormal uh, white blood cell counts and signs of inflammation. And uh, there are now centers around the country that are treating, and it's a problem for us also as a country because so many millions of people are going on disability because of this, because they're unable to concentrate and do their uh, jobs properly. And uh, the other, and the other thing that's happening is in the news some of the issues with these new medicines that people are taking for weight loss, and they're called semiglutides. And what they do is they block a chemical in the brain that affects appetite called the GLP-1 receptor. And what they're finding right now, uh, yes, short term these things might be good. You need to be under direct supervision with a physician. And I was just having a conversation with an integrative medicine specialist, Dr. Magdalena Swarczewski, and we were talking about some of the issues and some of the side effects that have been listed are inflammation in your pancreas, changes in vision, low blood sugar, some kidney problems, some people are having allergic problems, gallbladder problems, but now the lawyers have gotten onto it and it's causing some paralysis in the stomach, so you feel like it's full. So people have had reported cases of intestinal obstruction requiring surgery. So these things are not without side effects. Wow. They're rare, but they are real. So short term, it might be really good, but you need to be under the supervision of a competent doctor. The problem now with the new way medicine is, and it's become more McDonald's, you're in and out in 15 minutes, and doctors have to see 40 people a day because they're employees or they'll get let go. It's a little different. So finding a, a private doctor, someone to spend the time to go over these things is getting a little bit harder. So uh, what we're saying is that, uh, you know, in the opinion of all these articles coming out about these things, please be under the care of a supervision. Think about this as a, a long-term solution. It's not excuse to eat more and, and be heavy and not exercise. The best way still is things like intermittent fasting, not eating sugar, minimizing uh, dairy and uh, fats and uh, and red meat, and uh, and walking. You know, they found simple walking. Uh, if you can walk 7,000 steps a day, they found those people even had lower Alzheimer's risk. And the other thing that walking does, it also makes your bowels and your motility work better and you move things along instead of things being um, stuck inside us and uh, all the, the toxins associated with that. So having regular bowel habits help, but these new medicines seem to slow down the motility in our bowels. So, you know, it's all buyer beware. Like we all get excited yep. with a new year model car, new medicine, but that's why you have to get the truth on WABC. And, uh, and that's know, what we're all about here. Always consult with your physician about all these matters. Yep. Uh, great points. Uh, Dr. Peter Milos, we love you. Thank you. Great advice. Thanks so much. And uh, everybody, when we come back here on Cats and Cosby, John Solomon has some big breaking news about Al-Qaeda threats to New York City. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. 
And joining us now with some big breaking news is the founder of Just the News, the great investigative journalist, John Solomon, here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, John, you had some big stuff about Al-Qaeda threatening New York City energy. Yes, if you remember, just before the Christmas holidays, FBI Director Chris Ray said, I see blinking red lights everywhere. There is warning signs everywhere that terrorists are determined to strike the United States in the near future. Well, uh, uh, this week, the Transportation Security Administration put out a warning to all airports and to all security personnel saying the Al-Qaeda affiliate in the Arabian Peninsula, the most active arm of Al-Qaeda these days. Well, it resurrected its magazine, which had been out of circulation since 2017 when Donald Trump took office. Uh, its, uh, its magazine is called Inspire. Its message is not very inspirational. It is hateful, and it, uh, it made very specific threats against the United States, that it will strike New York City. It wants to strike New York City's energy grid. It wants to strike New York's subway system. It wants to blow up airplanes in general uh, uh, using suicide bombers. And uh, it is determined, as it said, to uh, wage jihad on America. This is the most active and most vocal that al-Qaeda has been in a very long time. It explains why Christopher Ray was so concerned before Christmas, why the TSA is putting out a warning now. We are living in one of the most perilous terror threat environments we've seen since 9-11, uh, that is not a good sign. And that's part of the reason today that you see the Speaker of the United States House, Mike Johnson, and more than two dozen members of Congress down at the border. They're fearful that the next terror attack has or will walk across that border. They want to get that closed up. Uh, everyone in Washington has the most heightened concern about terrorism that I've really seen since the early 2000s. John, let's get this straight. Now, we have Hamas. We have uh, Hezbollah. We have the Houthis. Al Qaeda is based out of what, what, what? What's their base of operations these days? Sadly, they're pretty active back in Afghanistan. The failure, the failed withdrawal of American troops gave Al Qaeda a safe haven again in Afghanistan. Uh, they're also so they're in Afghanistan Yemen. based. And yeah, uh, what is their Yemen. relationship? So we all know what the heck is going on. What is their yeah. relationship with the Taliban? Uh, well, it's one of uh, what appears to be uh, cozy again because the Taliban isn't rout- r- rooting them out. Uh, Taliban's not big friends of, of ISIS, but it's been more friendly with Al Qaeda historically. So the Taliban has allowed this safe haven to occur in the mountainous regions of um, of Afghanistan, Yemen, where the Houthi rebels are, also uh, a place where Al Qaeda has some significant influence. The Philippines, we've seen some Al Qaeda uh, spinoffs in the Philippines activating. They're in lots of different countries, and they're all agitating at once. And it's a reminder that the second you take your foot off the brake on terrorism, and uh, maybe give some money to Iran, this is what yes. happens. Well, uh, so we, we talked, uh, you know, we jokingly said, but it's really true, Hamas uh, and uh, the Houthis and uh, and the uh, Hezbollah, they're the yeah. Iranian Foreign Legion. Is, is Al-Qaeda the Iranian Foreign Legion, too? They're not. They tend to be more Sunni-based, not Shia-based. Uh, so Iran, obviously, Sunni-based. So who is funding the Sunni-based people? Well, there are lots of places around this world, from Qatar to UAE, where Al-Qaeda still gets significant financing. Saudi Arabia, you still see some financing coming to the madrasas and other places there. Uh, so you have two different religious sects in the Muslim world, both extremists trying to carry out terrorism, and they're all activating. And one of the most important things to remember, bin Laden, when so he ran So that's a Sunni foreign legion. 
It is. Yes, it is. It's so, I mean, one. I just want all Americans to understand uh, yeah. that, you know, when you choose up sides early in the morning, whose side is who's on? Yeah, and yeah, sadly, there's a, a lot of point. them. You know, uh, John, I want to get to because to John's point about all of these things that are going on, uh, the Middle East is like a hornet's nest today, especially. You look at what's going on with Iran. It was the fourth anniversary of the U.S. drone strike of Soleimani. Yeah. He was head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. And suddenly two huge explosions happened. There are 200 dead, and Iran is threatening payback. Uh, they don't know who did it because there could be a lot of people who did it. That's right. There are uh, is, uh, there are Iranian dissident groups that have been fighting a very uh, secret but successful war against the mullahs in Iran. They could be a suspect in this. Obviously, Israel is always a suspect uh, when it comes to Iran, certainly in Iran's mind. Um, there, you're right. The Middle East is so a flame. So if everybody can understand everything bright, the, the, the Saudis and al-Qaeda are Sunnis yes. versus yes. the Iranians are Shiites. So yeah, there's a remember, war. 19, besides, uh, besides them hating the Jews and hating the Christians, they hate each other. Yeah, so it could be anybody in this case is what we're talking about. There's a lot of fighting. But I, I just yeah. want, I, I want our audience to understand what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot of heat going on. There's a lot of fighting, yes. to your point. Yeah, you're right. And remember, the vast majority of the hijackers were of Saudi Arabian descent. And when I got the CIA interrogation reports of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, when I was a reporter at the Associated Press, um, the KSM, the mastermind of 9-11 in bin Laden, they wanted Saudis to be the muscle because they knew that would drive a wedge between Saudi Arabia and the United States, which cooperate closely on um, security matters. So the uh, uh, the Al-Qaeda uh, group likes to drive a wedge between Saudi Arabia and the United States. Iran likes to uh, activate all these other groups. It is a very unstable world at this very moment. Very unstable. You got you, you got the Jews, you got the Christians, you got the Sunnis, you got the Shiites. And, and we have a wide open southern and, border. And, and, and a wide open southern border. Whoever wants to come through the southern border, you're welcome. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, you know, and uh, by the way, John Solomon, real quickly, yes. what I also worry about are attacks on U.S. troops, of course, attacks on the homeland. You talked about Al Qaeda. There are a, there's a lot of chatter today about U.S. troops very quickly sort of on standby and just being very concerned because of all of these things, whether it's in the homeland, but also overseas. The threat environment is so high that uh, troops are on a higher alert than we've seen in a long time. You saw a aircraft carrier moved into the Mediterranean recently. It came out. It may go back again. Uh, the the hotspots are so many compared to where we were just a couple of years ago. And you really do see the, the outcome of the Biden foreign policy. Now, people are starting to realize some of this appeasement didn't work out like the way we thought it would. Yeah, John Solomon, thank you so much. Great stuff. Keep us posted, John. Very important. Thank you for keeping up the scoreboard for the American people. Thank you. Good to be with you. That was that was a great interview, and thank you for clarifying the Shia Sunni thing. But it's confusing. There's a lot of them. (laughs) But I'll tell you, since September 11th, I have never been as concerned about a terrorist attack uh, in New York or in the United States. Obama, uh, Biden's policies have been a catastrophe, and we just heard John Solomon outline it. As you pointed out, John, we now have al-Qaeda having a safe haven in Afghanistan, directly a result of Biden's failure. Iran is funding terrorists all over the world, including against us, and we gave them $6 billion under Biden. And terrorists are crossing the southern border, and Biden has done absolutely nothing except open the border. We are a prime target at a prime time 
and this administration is a failure. That's my simple view. I think it's primarily luck that we haven't been attacked because there's any number of reasons why we could be. Yeah, no, you're right. You're <laughs> it's right. just a matter of time. Just yeah. a matter of time. I mean, and you know what? Happen, people I mean, those borders are wide open. Those borders are wide open. You know what's They're scary? They're just walking across. And John, he talked about uh, he talked about John Solomon, this Inspire magazine. I want to remind everybody because I did a lot of the pre-9/11 reporting on Intel. Inspire magazine was like blaring, "Oh, we're going to go after America." So you have to take these threats seriously. To your point, it's really scary. And as he pointed out, uh, Inspire was shut down in 2017 when Trump came to office. And it's just recently reopened because they see this opportunity with Biden's weakness. And to John's point, uh, also about al-Qaeda, guess what happened? The withdrawal of Afghanistan and now the Taliban and al-Qaeda are cozy again. And what does the Biden administration do? It goes after the state of Texas because of the barbed wire at the border. They won't enforce the border. Texas is trying to protect the border and they're suing Texas. That's a great point. They are forcing to try to cut 30 miles of razor wire that Texas is saying we got to protect ourselves. You can't make it up. It is crazy. Pete? I was just saying Spy Magazine is deadly. They were the uh, the arm of Al-Qaeda, the Arabian Peninsula, and they were actually more effective than Al-Qaeda. We're, yeah. Guys, we are in deep crap. Yeah. All right? I mean, enough is enough with this. Uh, uh, Scary well, stuff. Let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's pray that... Uh, our country gets tougher. And we stay and, safe. And we stay safe. And uh, I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't even say anymore, but it's truth, justice, justice, and, and the American, American way. way. Thank you.